Welcome to the Dublin Bible Talks, midweek Bible talks for workers in Dublin. I'm Cameron Jones. What is the place of holy living in the Christian life? I was reading the Bible with someone last week, and they said something like, I get it now. We don't do good works to get right with God. We do everything now for His glory. That's the theme of Ephesians 4:17 to 5 verse 2 that we're looking at this week and next. Christians walk the walk, talk the talk, impressed by God. And please consider joining us live on Wednesdays from your workplace, 1pm Dublin time on Zoom. It's a simple way of identifying as a Christian in your workplace. Simply use the link bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. Friends, what is the place of holy living in the Christian life? There's a very true statement that once we are saved, we are always saved. But sometimes that can make Christians think that there's no place for being obedient. And some Christians get a bit lazy in that area of life. Uh, Yes, we are saved by grace alone and by faith alone, by Christ alone. But the danger, I think, in some of those ways of thinking which are absolutely true, there's there's absolutely truth in that statement, but there is a danger that we begin to focus on us as if we were the centre of the gospel message. I was reading the Bible with someone just last week and they said something like, I get it now, we don't do good works to get right with God, we do everything now for his glory. And I think that is a better summary than I could come up with for this section of the Bible. Ephesians 4.17 to 5 verse 2. You remember back in chapter 1 verses 3 and following, especially the second half of verse 10, it talks about uh, doing all things to the praise of his glory. Uh, I think that's actually verse 14 and verse 17, so that we may know him better. In chapter two, it was talked. We were talked about. We, we were learning about being made alive, but we are made alive in Christ by grace that is not of ourselves, but God's work. None of us can boast about it. It's not all about us. We are made new people, but we are made new people in Him, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. It's in him that the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In chapter 3, have a look at verse 8. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 10. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God has been known, his eternal purpose, verse 11, in which, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In chapter 3, verse 17, about halfway through, he prays that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power through with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and steep is the love of Christ, and to know this love which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Down to verse 20 of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And last week in Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at all life being lived 
a life worthy of the calling we've received, living that kind of life, and therefore being unified, kept together by what he has made us in Jesus, being gifted, being especially taught in Christ and prepared for works of service of him, and also being mature, being mature word carriers built up into Christ by speaking the word to each other so that we will be built up in him, not tossed around, but firm in him. And the focus of what I'm saying here is that Paul is saying it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about Jesus. What does this mean in practice in our lives? Well, this passage that we're looking at over the next two weeks has three sections, I think. First of all, it's about walking the walk, verses 17 to 24. It's about talking the talk, verses 25 to 32, and being impressed by God, chapter 4, verse 30 to chapter 5, verse 2. So first of all, and I think this is what we're going to focus on today, walking the walk, verses 17 to 24. And it's all about not being like the Gentiles. Listen again at that little passage where Paul says, verse 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now you might think, surely Paul, you've been saying that the whole Jew-Gentile thing is in the past. He's made us one out of the two. Those who were far away have been brought near. But he says here that this is something he insists on in the Lord. This is not something he's talking about that is a negotiable for Christians. He says you must not live. That's what the man sent by Jesus himself to us says. Look back with me to chapter 2 verses 11 to 13. And just notice, what is the key feature of this that links with the phrase, no longer live like the Gentiles, that we just read in chapter 4, verse 17? Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth. Look back again to 4, verse 17. He says, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. It's a pattern of behaviour that was in the past, and should be left there. In chapter 2, we as Gentiles and pagans without God's law were described as, verse 12, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants, without hope, without God. But then in Christ, those who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The far away life was primarily primarily defined by alienation from Jesus. And Paul lists here what those qualities of alienation looked like from that life that was in our past. Paul lists those qualities from which we are called. Have a look at them, and we'll have a look at these in quite some detail, just to get it clear in our minds what we used to be like and what we should no longer be. First, Futile in thinking. 
for all of the philosophy of the age then and now, for all of the intelligence, all of the advances of technology and society, over all of its brilliance, it is ultimately futile. We had that question that I put in the WhatsApp group about the, who is the most brilliant person in the world. Uh, and, and so you came up with a great list of people who people would go to in our culture who are thought of as brilliant, people like Elon Musk and the Ambani family and, the, and David Attenborough and Ben Shapiro and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, and you could go on and on. People who you think, oh, that's the kind of person, if I wanted uh, to know what brilliance looked for looked like, in previous ages, they might have said uh, an Einstein or even a Stephen Hawking or that kind of a character. But the most brilliant person in the world, their cleverness will not save them. Their cleverness will not bring them any nearer to God. In all of that cleverness is, at the end, futile. Oh, not necessarily evil. I mean, medical advances are wonderful and the wise negotiator and the good politician and the good business person can do things that are helpful and that are beneficial. But in the end, it ends up being futile because it's, verse 18, darkened in its understanding. It's not only futile thoughts, but they're darkened in their understanding. Their understanding is actually characterised by an inability to see. Very much like what Paul writes in in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 about humanity, where he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but they in their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Not just darkened, separated from God. You see that in verse 18? It's the same word he used in chapter 2 verse 12 when he said, At that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship from Israel, God's people, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Ignorant. Do you see that word there in verse 18? Their separation is because they are ignorant. They do not know the message of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the language of ignorance is the language of failing to be grateful and obedient, whereas the knowledge of God is to be in a close personal relationship with him. But they are... And we were ignorant. The world in which we live are ignorant of God. But it's not because they haven't heard. Read on and it says, The ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. The world is at its core obstinately opposed to God. They have hearts that are like Pharaoh of Egypt, whose heart hard heart refused to hear what God had to say, even despite the plagues of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and that is what the world is like, from which we've been called, like the people of Israel were called out of Egypt. We are called out of that hardness of heart. God's people were made by being called out from a land characterised by hardness of heart to a new land. But they, the world, 
our unbelieving colleagues, are hard of heart. They are insensitive. Their hardening of heart has calloused them. Uh, when I was... Uh, when I grew up in Australia, all summer long, uh, I would run around barefoot, no matter what the snakes and spiders and twigs and any number of things. And throughout the summer holidays, I would get home and I, I would find thorns embedded in the sole of my foot. And I hadn't felt them because my feet were calloused. The world's heart is calloused. They cannot, and we could not, feel the embarrassment that our actions and their actions should cause them. Like the pride of people who defend things that the Bible says are awful, things that they should be ashamed of, de defending the killing of children or uh, defending sex of any kind outside of marriage for one man, for one woman, for life, uh, finding pride in greed finding delight in using God's name as a swear word, they've lost the feeling of shame that they should feel. And they've replaced it. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's what the world's like. Do you sometimes forget that that's what the world's like? Do you need to be reminded that that's what the world's like as you read this? Given over to sensuality, feeling no shame leads to immersing, people immersing themselves in what will make them feel something. Like the person who's suffering such pain that they will punch the wall just to make themselves feel a different kind of pain but they're only doing damage to themselves that is going even further. Indulging in every impurity, the second part or the third part of verse 19. There's not one area of sin that this world has not turned into a virtue. In the Old Testament, there was a, uh, a group of people who worshipped a, a, a god called Molech, and a part of the worship of Moloch was the sacrifice of children. And yet we live in a world that celebrates the destruction of unborn children and finds pride in it, indulgent in every kind of impurity, lustful. Verse 19. Have you noticed the pattern in our world? As soon as one battle for immorality is won, a new one begins in earnest. Sexual freedom, homosexual freedom, trans freedom. <laughs> and what's the difference at the end of the day between gender reassignment surgery and female genital mutilation, which is so attacked in other countries? The calloused, unfeeling shamelessness of the world around us is painted clearly here. It's a picture of the world from God's point of view. But it's not there for us to stand in judgment over the world as if we could see ourselves as superior. Don't fall into that trap, friends. That's a great danger for us Christians. Christians are often caricatured as self-righteous because often we've been like that. No, friends, we are not righteous in ourselves. 
our difference from the world has got nothing to do with a quality in us. We we do not abstain from those things because we are better in, as a class of person. No, it's not about us. This is all about Jesus Christ. Look back to verse 17. How does he insist on it? He insists on it in the Lord. And now look forward. Not like the Gentiles, not like the world, but the way of Christ. Verses 20 to 24. You, however, you Christians, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And so put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's Paul uses a phrasing here that in our trans, which is represented well in our translation, but there's actually a, a nuance of language he uses here, which is quite distinctive. Literally, he says, but you did not learn Christ this way. Normally, uh, we, what we get to learn is a teaching. We get to learn a, a, a message or a morality. But here... Paul says it's not the teaching of Jesus we learn, but we learn Christ. Jesus is the message. Christianity is not the teaching, the moral teachings of Jesus. And so that makes Christianity different from Islam, for example, which is about the teachings of Muhammad, or like Buddhism, which is following the teachings of Satata Gautama. In theory, their teachings could have been given by someone else without actually changing the message. But Christians learn Christ. Christ does not deliver the message. He is himself the message. And if they did not learn Christ from the Gentile way of life, Then in what way did they learn Christ? Surely you were heard of him and were taught in him. You you heard it. You were taught Christ. And friends, that makes us exactly the same as the Christians who first received this letter. We heard of Jesus. We heard the word of Jesus Christ. We had it spoken to us. That's how we learned Christ. And after hearing of him, we were taught in him. The message that is Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it's not just something that you heard heard once. It's something that you, as Christians, have continued instruction in. That's why we have these Bible talks on Wednesdays, so that we can have continued instruction of Christ so that we grow in him. They didn't learn Christ in Gentile life and thinking, Rather, they heard it according to the truth in Jesus. They didn't learn him from the world. They learned from Jesus himself, the message. Not in futility, not in darkness, but in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. Um, Last week in verse 15, we were taught to speak the truth in love. What is the truth that we Christians are to speak? the same that we heard at first and have come to know. 
the truth that is Jesus Christ. And because we learned him, and because we were taught in him, and because that is the truth that we know, we know about our old way of life before Christ. And now, verse 22, you were taught with your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Friends, when you first became a believer in Jesus, were you taught that it's going to change your life, that it's going to change everything in your behaviour? It's possible that you weren't, or possible that you've forgotten. And perhaps at parts of your life, there's no difference between how you were and how you now are. But that needs to change, doesn't it, when we are taught Christ, when we know Christ. It is entirely possible that we have gotten so caught up in the grace of God to us that we've forgotten that his purpose was not us, but his holy glory. And his holiness requires the holiness of his people. He has made us holy, so we are to be holy. And we must teach this call to holiness as a part of what we teach to others when we present the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. When we present the gospel of Jesus, we don't present it just as a, oh, this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, and then you can go on and do whatever you like. No, the message of Jesus is a call to holy service of the great Lord of all the universe for the rest of our lives for his glory's sake. Learning Christ means that we see the former way of life for what it was and we put it off. We put it off just like, just imagine you'd fallen into the sewer and you've been hauled out of it, but your clothes are still stinking. Now, while you were down in the pit, you didn't notice that your, your clothes were smelling bad because you were surrounded in the muck. But now that you're out of the pit, you realise how awful the clothes you're wearing are. And so what are you going to do? Well, in the light of the truth, we see the sinful desires as they really are. And the truth shows their deceit. The truth shows the deadly corruption of them. And it also shows what we are now. Verse 23, made new in the attitude of our minds. And we put on the new self. We put off that old stinking stuff. And we pull on the new clothing of the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 23 um, sort of echoes Romans 12. God's purpose for us in Christ is to renew us. We are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds reflecting the character of God himself who has saved us, reflecting him by our personal righteousness, reflecting the relationship that we now have with him, right relationship, reflecting God by our holiness, reflecting the purity, the otherness, the holiness of God, not just right relationship but right behaviour. We are to walk the walk. 
Thank you for listening to the recording of the Dublin Bible Talks. You can join us in real time on Wednesdays at 1pm Dublin time on Zoom, bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks. That's bit.ly slash Dublin Bible Talks.